Welcome to another episode of Unwritten Rules. I am Shelby Cravens, your now former director of media relations, and today's guest is Taylor McGregor. She is a sideline reporter for the Chicago Cubs, formerly a reporter with the SEC Network and the Colorado Rockies, and I am excited for you to hear our conversation and to hear a little bit more about Taylor McGregor. Hi, Taylor. Welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you on. And personally, I'm excited to meet you because you and I have have never met before, but we have a little bit of a, a background together. We're tied in a couple different ways. I know. I remember doing a, a, a basketball broadcast with your dad and <laughs> it was right. Well, I, I had met him years ago. And then whenever I accepted the Cubs job, he he told me about you and how you were with the Iowa Cubs. And so, yeah, unfortunately we didn't get a meet because of COVID. I was hoping to meet you at some point, but now we're kind of switching places. So I'm excited for you. (laughs) So, yeah. So some background for the fans that don't know. So you came over to Marquis from the Colorado Rockies organization and their broadcast network works with AT&T sports network. And my father calls basketball games for AT&T sports net. So that's how that connection comes in. And I remember that too, of he's, he texts me and I think I talked to Jenny as well, Jenny Kavnar, who is a reporter with AT&T and for the Rockies and shot me a message and said, hey, we have this girl coming to Chicago. You know, you should hopefully you guys will cross paths. Uh, you know, you guys would love each other. You guys should meet kind of thing. And then, like you said, then COVID hit. And here we are over a year later. And this is we get to meet virtually for the first time now. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I know. I'll just have to meet you when we're in Colorado now. So something like that. That's great too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, and that's, that's the other angle for fans that don't know. I've just accepted a job with the Colorado Rockies. So this will be my last podcasting episode and I'm sad to be leaving the Iowa Cubs, but obviously excited and um, we'll miss the Iowa Cubs fans a lot, but we're going to miss you. I know (laughs) everybody, everybody at the Cubs loves you because you were one of the the people, like I said, kind of within the organization who I knew. And every mm-hmm. time your name's brought up, everybody just adores you. So I, I can speak for people here. They're going to miss you. Uh, um, I don't know the people in Iowa, but I'm going <laughs> to go out on a limb and say they're for sure going to miss you. Um, uh, well, but but you. we're all thrilled for you. Thank you so much. I'm excited. Um, so Taylor, in your own words, tell us about your background and how did you get to your position that you have today with Marquis? So my kind of introduction to the sports world came at a really young age. My dad worked in professional baseball for the Rockies, actually, um, and then played in the NFL. So I had, you know, firsthand experience with both of those sports. So I kind of learned the business of sport through osmosis and knew from an early age that I wanted to be involved in some way, shape or form. I just didn't really know what that looked like. And, you know, I'm very thankful that there were women on TV working in sports in the Denver market, because that was a representation that I saw on television. And and my little, you know, 12 year old self said, Oh, I can do that job. If they can do it, I can do it. And so uh, Krista Thompson was one of those, Alana Rizzo, eventually Jenny Kavnar, um, I saw faces on TV and, and thought that I could do that. And so then I went to the University of Arkansas and in the SEC, it's football country and fell in love with college football and was lucky enough that when I was in college, the SEC network was getting launched with ESPN. And I met a lot of people 
through that experience, I got a shadow Laura Rutledge, who was a sideline reporter for SEC Network at the time. Her career skyrocketed. So I got to meet her, kind of learn from her and then meet people within the business through her. Um, and, and, and those, those contacts have helped me ever since. Um, after college, I graduated and started in market 196 in Casper, Wyoming. And then I went from there to Little Rock. And then when I was in Little Rock at SEC Media Days, I met a guy who works for ESPN. He's kind of head of talent for college football. And eventually he was one of the guys who hired me to do college football for ESPN. So super thankful for my time in Little Rock and that connection that I made there. Um, and then when I was in Little Rock, the Rockies job opened and I got on with the Rockies and spent two years in Colorado doing that and then college football, like I mentioned with ESPN and then the Cubs job opened and, and now I'm in Chicago. So it's kind of been a whirlwind. I think I moved five times in six years. It was oh, pretty wild, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but that was kind of, I knew that getting into the business that it was going to be wild and you're going to have to move around. And I, I'm like, thankful for all the experiences that I've had. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun though. Like you've had a lot of great experiences <laughs> so far. Um, so you mentioned kind of, you were, you were able to see those influences on TV. Do you remember the moment when you went from, I want to work in sports to that's who I want to be. I want to be in journalism. I want to be um, in front of the camera and that's, that's going to be my path. Yeah, it was in high school and we watched college game day every Saturday. And that was the time when Aaron Andrews was on game day. And mm -hmm. again, it was a female representation on television. And so it was somebody who I could see myself as, um, in a role that I aspired to be in. So that was huge for me. And I remember I did public speaking and people would just come up to me and say, you're really good at that. And, and I think public speaking to most people um, is, it's not an easy, and, and I'm not saying it's natural and easy for me either because it wasn't, but I had a passion for it. And I think it was more natural for me than maybe some other people. And so people were always telling me, you know, you need to do something with speaking and talking in front of people. And so I kind of put the two and two together. And, um, and I do remember watching game day and thinking that's the job that I want. I want to do something where, you know, people cared so much about where the crew was going to be every Saturday. And I loved following that and um, just that energy and the passion. And um, it was something that, that captivated me and definitely, inspired me to get into this career. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this was another reason I was excited to talk to you because I think I relate to you a lot where my father was a college basketball coach. So I grew up going to games in probably the same fashion that you did. And I was able to get my first internship was working for our, the VP of communications for University of Utah Athletics was a woman named Liz Abel. And so my first introduction to sports and working in now what I do in sports information was working for a female that was just kicked butt at what she did. And so I think definitely to echo what you're saying, that representation is really important because I don't know if I would have been so confident coming into this field if I didn't have that person to look to and say, oh, she's been doing this for 30 years. She's great at her job. I can do that too. Yeah, I think it's so important. And, and it's interesting. We I'm sure you've seen the news. Beth Moens was the first woman to call play by play for the Chicago Cubs on TV. And mm -hmm. it was a huge deal. And 
her story is so interesting because she is a pioneer in sports broadcasting in so many different ways. And she told me her story and how she would watch TV. And, you know, there are really only male figures on TV. And yet she had the confidence to say, no, I can do that. And, you know, unlike Beth, I don't think that I ever could have looked at the TV and said, I can do that job if there was no females to kind of be that role model for me. So, you know, for some people like Beth, who's an anomaly because she's so awesome, um, they they can look at, you know, somebody who maybe doesn't look like them or sound like them and still feel like they can get that job. But for me, it was so important that there were women on TV because I genuinely don't know if I would have even known this to be a career path had it not been for women before me to kind of give me that idea and influence um, that in my head. Right. And now you kind of get to assume that role. So what are your thoughts on being that role, role model for little girls now? Well, it's interesting. I never pictured myself as a role model for young women getting into the industry because for so long, I was the young girl who wanted to get into the industry and I was picking people's brain and I was trying to make any sort of contact that I could to get advice on how you break into this industry. And now I've been fortunate enough to be where I am. And thanks to social media, I've had a lot of girls connect with me and reach out and, and ask for career advice. And still, sometimes I have to pinch myself thinking, why would they want career advice from me? You know, I'm still trying to quote unquote, make it, you know, I don't think I'm worthy of giving advice, but it is flattering. And I think it's also, like I said, it's important to be that representation for young girls. And um, I, anytime anybody reaches out to me, I try to get back to them as soon as I can. It, it's amazing how many young women are out there who want to get into this business. I mean, I get DMs several times a week from, from girls who want to pick my brain and who want to ask for advice. And so um, it's awesome to think of the future of, of how many women want to do this and, and, you know, the doors that are opening for everybody. Um, and it's also flattering that, you know, people see me as a quote unquote role model. And so I don't take that lightly. And, and whenever I can, I try to give back because there were so many people who did that for me. Yeah, definitely. And I think the access is so cool now that you're able to make those connections with someone that you've never met or wouldn't have your cell phone number or wouldn't know through people that people can just reach out and say, Hey, I'm looking for some advice. And then you're able to respond to that. And I'm sure that makes a lot of people's day just getting answers from you and helps a lot of people. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, I, I just try to try to give back and, and do what people did for me because I had a lot of really kind women who who took time to acknowledge me and help me and I wouldn't be where I am without them. And so I want to help the next generation of broadcasters. That's great. Um, so for any young girls or younger old girls or anyone listening, what is your best nugget of advice that you can give? I get this question all the time. Sure. And I think you know, it's interesting whenever people DM me, like, the main question they'll ask is just, what advice do you have for me? And I'm like, well, how long do you have? And also how long do I have to tweet this or you know, reply? Because this is a really long um, sentiment that I have to give. But I think if there's one piece of advice that I don't think enough people talk about, it's 
being likable in this business. Um, you know, we could talk forever about hard work and research and doing your homework and being prepared. And of course, all of that is so important. But what I've found is people want to work with people who they like. And I know that sounds simplistic, but when you're a family with somebody for six months out of the year, like we are in Major League Baseball, and and you're not somebody who um, works well with a team or you know who has that kind of likability factor, it wears on everybody else. And then you get this reputation within the industry that you're hard to work with, and that can influence you down the down the road. And and honestly, I'm not sure you even get to a higher level if if you aren't if you aren't likable because the business is so small and people make recommendations and that's just so important is just being kind and being a good teammate and you know understanding that things have to adjust and and being okay with doing whatever role is asked of you just you know being that person who's kind of down for anything um and and just a supportive teammate and kind and and all of the things that you think of when you think of kind of a, a likability factor. Yeah, I would agree with that 100% because when you work in sports, particularly baseball, when you're playing a game nearly every day, I see that my coworkers more than I see my family, my roommate, any of my friends. And if you have a hard time working with people, then you're going to be pretty miserable a lot of the time. <laughs> so, yeah, usually I say- 100% attitude, attitude and showing up on time. If you can show up on time and have a good attitude every day, then we can teach everything else and you can learn and we can figure it out. But those two things are very, very important, I think, for working in this business. That's, those, that's spot on. That's great. See, you didn't even need my advice. You have the <laughs> advice right there. <laughs> uh, so tell us how, what the process was like when you landed with Marquis, um, I'm sure that was a whirlwind for you, but how did you get to this spot? Yeah. So in about November, I was doing college football and I remember I was down in Arizona and I got a call from, from somebody who I'm pretty close with. And he said, Hey, um, have you thought about the Cubs job? And I said, no, <laughs> I haven't actually, you know, I've got a knee deep in, in, football and then kind of just one thing led to the next and I was out in Chicago I met with the people at Marquee and kind of walked away thinking wow I really want this job you know I didn't think that I wanted it honestly initially because I was so happy and so content in Colorado and I didn't really see myself leaving that job um, but then once things progressed and I, I saw the launching of a network, I saw all the great people who were going to be hired at Marquee. Again, their emphasis was, you know, it's not necessarily the most talented people, but people who are enjoyable to work with and who can get along and be a good team. And, and I valued that. And um, I saw everyone they were bringing in and was like, I want to be a part of this. And of course, the opportunity to work for the Cubs and have Wrigley Field be your office. I mean, come on, that was something that I just could not pass up. And so then all of a sudden it was Cubs convention and I was announced as the field reporter. And then I went to spring training a few weeks later. And then a few weeks after that, we launched. And then a few weeks after that, the world shut down. So it really has been a whirlwind. It's if you would have told me when I accepted the job with Marquis that, you know, and, and, 
two months, the world would be completely shut down and we would be doing everything remotely. I would have laughed in your face and said, that's not possible, but here we are, we've had to adjust. And it's been a really fun journey. It's been challenging as it has been for everybody. Um, but I, I'm thankful and I think we're gonna look back on this chapter of life at one point and just be grateful for everything that we learned and be proud of everything we overcame because it's been really hard for us as a network, um, for everybody in the world, you know, personally and professionally, it's been a, it's been a tough year, but I'm thankful for, for the journey and I'm thankful that the Cubs took a chance on me and allowed me to be a part of, of the launching of their network. Yeah. What were some of the challenges or how did you adjust to not only doing a new job, but now doing a new job during COVID and all the restrictions and you're no longer in front of players interviewing them. You're now up in the an empty stands with a mask on and doing everything from afar. So what was that experience like? Oh, it was so challenging. It still is challenging if I'm being completely honest because we're so used to being able to walk into the clubhouse and have five different storylines and easily being able to talk to five different players just quickly. Like, hey, Riz, well, what's the answer to this question? Or, you know, I have a question about this KB and like, in the matter of 10 minutes, you can talk to five different guys and have five different nuggets for the broadcast. But now in COVID, we don't have that access. And so I might have some story ideas, but I can't even talk to the player that day because I don't have the access to them. You know, he's mm -hmm. not the player on Zoom, or if he is a player on Zoom, you're on Zoom with the main media. And so the minute that you ask a question, everybody hears it and it gets tweeted out. And so by the time that you get to the game, it's no longer original content. And so coming up with original content in 2020 slash 2021 has been so hard. And at times it's been really frustrating because I want to feel valuable in the broadcast and I want to feel like I'm bringing information that nobody else has. And, and that's been near impossible um, this year. So to answer your question of how do you adjust, I think, Thank goodness for my awesome production crew, Mike Leary, our producer. He has been incredible of helping me think outside the box, getting in contact with the Cubs, you know, doing some stuff at the stadium that showcases different pieces of Wrigley, different pieces of history and, and the Cubs. And, you know, some people might have seen it before, but some people might not have. And, and just the chance to kind of revisit those stories is, is what we were allowed to do in, in 2020. And I think we will continue to do that in 2021. And I, and I think there, there's been value that we've brought to the broadcast because of that. So it's been different, probably things I never would have done in a normal year, but, you know, we've, we've made it work and we're going to continually make it work. So again, it's, the game of adjustments. That's what they always say. And, and as the field reporter, I've certainly had to adjust and will continually have to adjust, but um, we're making it work. Yeah. Hopefully sometime soon, fingers crossed, things go back to some somewhat normal and you can actually get a true, true season or half season under your belt. Let's hope. I want that more than anything else. <laughs> yeah. I think we're all there. Um, so what, what does go into your game preparation? So in the off season right now, I've spent a lot of time going through media guides, reading about players and a lot of that, a lot of it is players on other teams, you know, and looking at their background and then in turn, knowing 
the Cubs background and saying, oh, you know, in 2013, this guy was at the Cape Cod League. I think that was the same year that Ian Happ was at that league and kind of taking notes and and making connections that during the hustle and bustle of the season, I probably wouldn't have been able to sit down and, and realize that there was even that connection. So a lot of it's just research, um, trying to find connections between guys where maybe there's a story, maybe there's not, you know, but um, at least if you can have that basis to ask questions, something can come about. So during the off season, a lot of research on just different guys, kind of their backgrounds. And then once the season starts, Every day we'll get a research packet, kind of looking through that. Um, usually my pregame and, and open hits are talking something more statistical based. You know, Ian Happ is hitting 800 to start the season. What's been going on with him? How is he doing that? You know, and so maybe something like that or, or injury updates, whatever. So that kind of stuff is kind of just keeping up with the team during the season. Um, and then before every series, I usually reach out to somebody on the opposing media side and say, hey, do you have anything? Is there been any news around your team that I should know? Maybe something that I hadn't seen. And in the national media, and, and, and I've gotten a lot of good stuff from other members of the media saying, hey, yeah, look into this or, hey, ask this guy about this. And, and it's worked out. So Preparation for baseball is certainly a lot different than, than college football because you just live with the team every single day. You know, you watch every pitch of every game. So you kind of just know what's happening. Whereas in college football, you know, you get two new teams every single week. And so you might have two teams you've never even been able to fully watch play this season because you've been doing other games. So um, it's a lot it's a lot different preparation. But um, yeah, that's kind of kind of the prep work. And, and I, I really do enjoy the prep. I think it's interesting to learn about people. And, and I always love hearing the behind the scenes stories of different connections and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, over the last year, what are some one or more interesting tidbits of information you've stumbled on that you that surprised you or you just thought was really interesting? Oh, gosh, you know, just Oh, this is this is one that is kind of funny. Um, I had Northwestern against Michigan state and I was, they had this linebacking core that was the best in the big 10, one of the best in the big 10, I guess you could make the argument Ohio state was better, but um, I was, I was talking with Patty Fisher, one of the linebackers and we were just kind of talking and he says, yeah, we call ourselves the Irish law firm. And it was just really funny. And so I said that on the broadcast and all of a sudden it blew up and everybody was, thought it was hilarious that they were the Irish law firm. And so little stuff like that of, oh, you know, that's funny. You guys call yourself that. And, and then it kind of blew up. Um, so that was something that for some reason stands out. Um, I remember last year, Chris Bryant hit a homer. He, I think it, it was a go ahead homer and, and he was our walk-off interview. And he said to me that he, before the game, he told Kyler he was going to hit a homer for him. And then he did, and he came through. And, and so that was cool because you just, it kind of takes you inside a guy's normal everyday life. He's kissing his son goodbye and says, Hey, I'm going to hit a major league homer for you today. Like, that's pretty cool. So um, that was another one. And then there's always different stories. Rossi's awesome with stories about different guys around the league and memories that he has. So there's, there's several of those. Um, but yeah, I think the ones that I, that I mentioned are kind of just what, what comes to mind first. Yeah. And I think that's what 
is so important and valuable about your job is humanizing the players and the team. And as media as a whole is starting to recognize how important that is, that we're no longer just watching a baseball game. You know, these people are individuals and have lives. And, and I know you're a big part of telling those stories. That's what we try to do. And again, during the pandemic, it's been really challenging because you don't have the same access, but I do view my job as such where I want people at home to know Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo and, and Javi Baez on and off the field. Cause when I tell people about my job, one of the first questions everybody asks is, Hey, what's Chris Bryant really like? Or what's Javi Baez really like? You know, they want to know them as people. They see them as baseball players. They watch games every single day, but they want to know what are they like off the field. And so we do try to bring that human element. It's been challenging, but we're doing our best at this point. Yeah. And we've mentioned the challenges of your first season several times, but what are some of the highlights of your first season working in Chicago and with the Cubs? Well, I think in hindsight, a highlight will be the fact that I was a part of this 2020 season because it is going to be written all over the history books. I remember opening day in an empty Wrigley field. You could hear some fans on the rooftops, but it was one of those moments where you're sitting in this historical ballpark and it's opening day, which notoriously is a huge, almost national holiday. Um, and nobody's in there, but you. And I just, I took in that moment of thinking to myself, how thankful I was to be a part of this because again, so many people would have done so much to be a part of the season in some way, shape or form. So I am grateful for that. Um, I'm grateful for the launch of Marquee being a part of something like that. Um, I'm excited, you know, the future of the network and one day look back and say, yeah, I was a part of the launch and I kind of helped create that role of the field reporter and, and what that looked like for the network. So I'm thankful for that. And then I'm just thankful for the relationships that I've built with my, my teammates, if you will, everybody else in the production truck, the, the broadcasters, um, the visiting broadcasters, even though it's all been virtual this year. But I think, you know, through struggle comes connection and we kind of all bond in our struggles. And so there was a lot of bonding this year in a, in a different way than ever before. And, and I'm thankful for that because a lot of these people will be friends for life. And, and I'm super thankful for that. Yeah. Yeah. 2020 is something we're all going to have memories of, I'm sure in some way or for way, shape or form. No doubt. No doubt. Um, so you mentioned this right when we hopped on this call, but you are actually calling games remotely at this point, correct? Yes. We're in Chicago while the team is in Arizona. So tell us a little bit about that experience. Well, that has been interesting because number one, shout out to our amazing engineering department. Deb Schneider has been leading the charge and all of that. What an absolute victory celebration that needs to be had of being able to put the pieces together and make this happen. I mean, the technical side of all of this is intense and I'm shout out to that crew for making it all happen. It's different as a broadcaster, obviously not being there. I think similar to last year, the biggest thing you miss is the energy. We missed 
fans in the stands last year. I remember thinking it's the seventh inning. Why do I not feel energized? And it was the lack of fans, the lack of atmosphere that we've become so accustomed to. And in the studio, it's the same way because there's, you know, you're not there and you don't get that energy of the stadium and just being around even the players, you know, being in that atmosphere, it's, it's just different. Um, so you kind of have to create your own energy and um, it's been challenging. Again, I've used the word challenging about 1200 times. Um, challenging, not having the access of being around the guys, catching up with them. Hey, how was your off season? What's new with this? What's new with that? Just develop that relationship. Haven't been able to do that. But again, we're trying to make the most out of it. And I'm proud of, of everything that we've done at Marquee. If people understood how hard this has been, I think they, they would pat a lot of people on the back at Marquee um, because what, what everybody's gone through, especially on the technical side, just making everything work is crazy. So there you go. There's a little behind the scenes look at broadcasting spring training baseball remotely. So if you can get through this, you can get through anything. You got the hard stuff out of the way first. That's what I'm saying. That is what I'm saying. So born and raised in Colorado, you moved around a little bit earlier in career, but what are your thoughts on Chicago as a new resident? I know you haven't lived there, not in a pandemic, basically, but. <laughs> That's the key. Everybody always asks me, hey, how are you like in Chicago? And I love it. I love yeah. the city. I'm a few blocks away from the water. So I go out by the water all the time while walking the lakeshore um, front. That's been great. This city in this summer, even though I, again, haven't gotten the full experience, you do feel it come alive a little bit. So that's been great. And, and again, one of the reasons I took this job is Chicago was my favorite city to visit as a visitor. So I, I do love this city and I'm excited for this year, this summer, hopefully a little bit more normal in comparison to last year, but it's been great. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the future here in this city. Although I will say one thing that's been challenging is all this food on my waistline. I just don't feel like Denver has the best food and that's no knock on Denver. I mean, it's my home. I'm not trying to knock it, but you come here and I'm like, well, why is everything so good? And also why is everything a million calories and just straight carbs? You know, it's, it's, it's tough. So that's the one thing that's been tough about Chicago. I'm like, I want to eat everything. This is not okay. Yeah, Stop that deep this. dish, that deep dish pizza isn't really showing up on a Weight Watchers recommended foods or anything. And pizza is my favorite food. It's so troublesome trying to not eat it every night because I would, I honestly would. Okay, we're going to get into, I have to ask you a controversial question then. Where's your favorite pizza in Chicago? Lou Malnati's, that's my okay. go-to. I've tried, I've tried them all. Um, Giordano's. I feel like Lou's and Giordano's are similar, but Lou's is, Lou's is the best. And I don't live far from one, so maybe that's why I'm a little biased, but that's my favorite, so. I mean, pizza is something you? that- What about you? Do you have one? Uh, I'm, I don't really have a specific one in Chicago. I, I visit quite often. I actually have a sister that lives in Chicago, and with the Cubs connection, I go there a lot. Um, I'm usually, I'm like the, the pizza crust person. I like a good thick, like doughy bready crust. So anything that has okay. good bread on it is I'm a fan of. 
Yeah, I mean anything with carbs, like yeah, give it right, to me. basically. Yeah. Um, I got to give you advice. So moving to Colorado, something that people don't really know outside of Colorado, and I don't know why, is we put honey on our crust. Have you ever done oh, that? Oh, I have not. Oh my gosh! So you'll go to pizza joints, and at least a local pizza joint. There's some, you know, kind of off-brand ones that'll come in, and they're not real Colorado spots. So you got to find like a local good pizza spot and they always have honey to put on your crust some people put honey just on their pizza and eat it and I'm not above that because again carbs sugar give it to me right Um, me too me too but yeah but that's definitely something you'll have to try in Colorado because it's so good I will make note of that I'll I'll let you know I'll I'll be in touch and say okay here here are my reviews on the honey on pizza yes there you go So one more thing about the city of Chicago, I have to ask you about the winters, because I know I'm now living in currently in the Midwest, been here for five years. I moved from Utah, which I think is very similar uh, climate to Denver. And I moved to the Midwest and everyone said, well, you're from Utah. You, you know, winters, you deal with snow. And I said, "Uh, no, this is not the same thing. This winter is not the same. So I'm curious what your transition has been like. (laughs) It's not even comparable because the thing about Utah and Colorado is we get over 300 days of sunshine. Exactly. So even in the winter, we might get a foot of snow, but hey, blue skies, nice to see you that afternoon. You know, so the snow doesn't stay. It melts very quickly. We're here in Chicago. We get one foot of snow and that same foot of snow is on the ground four weeks later because it's not sunny. It's still freezing cold. So yeah, the winters here, I'm not going to lie, have been a struggle. Luckily, I don't work in Chicago in the winters. So I spent a lot of time in Colorado skiing. I love to ski awesome. and snowboard. So um, that was great. But yes, Midwest winters are n- not the same as the good old Rocky Mountain winters. <laughs> not the same at all. So lucky, luckily for you, you're going back to a Colorado winter where I think Colorado averages a lot more snow, but again, you get the blue skies. So it doesn't feel as cold and the snow doesn't stick around. Right. Yep. And I will miss the Iowa Cubs in Des Moines with all of my heart. I will not miss the winters at all. That, yeah. that wind chill yeah. and the negative temperatures and I'm okay leaving that behind. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when I was here for CubsCon, uh, there was a bumper sticker on, on somebody's car and it said, sorry for the person I am in the winter. And I was like, oh, sorry for that person. But now I understand. I, I genuinely understand why they would put that bumper sticker on their car in the Midwest. Because when you don't see the sun and it's freezing cold out for three weeks on end, I I'm not the same person either. So I get it. But again, love Chicago. Um, I'm excited for a winter, hopefully this winter, where we can do more things indoors and and everything's not shut down. So it kind of takes away some of the sadness of winter, if you will. Yeah, definitely. Um, So we'll kind of start to wrap up here. I know you have places to be, but what are you looking forward to about this season with the Cubs? I'm looking forward to the race in the NL Central. I think it's going to be a really tight race with four teams. And I'm excited for hopefully getting to September and and being in the chase for a pennant because that's what makes our jobs as broadcasters fun when you get to September and the team's still in the chase and every single at-bat matters. And 
it's fun and um the energy in the stadium is just different so i'm really looking forward to that um i'm looking forward to at some point getting more ag slowly so we can start to tell more stories about these guys and kind of showcase them to the fan base more and more and peel back those layers so those are some of the things that I'm excited about. And I guess right now, maybe consistently nice weather because it's kind of that spring, you know, where you get a nice few days and then rains and, and it's just such a tease for that nice weather. So I'm ready for summertime shy to come and stay. Yeah. Um, and we will finish on my favorite question to ask everyone in baseball. What is your walk-up song? <laughs> oh, Wow. Um, 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 what is my walk-up song? That, okay. Um, Cody Bellinger, two years ago, I don't know if he still had it last year. Obviously, Cubs didn't play the Dodgers in LA, so I never experienced it. But a few years ago, his walk-up song was Hotel California. And it would kind of lay out and the organist would play the rest of it. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. So not that I'm copying Cody Bellinger, but I kind of am. I want to do something like that. I love the Eagles um, and something where the organist can kind of pick up and keep playing. So if you're going to copy any player, I mean, Cody Bellinger is probably... A, a decent choice you know that'll work yeah and if I could also copy his 2019 season and, and make myself a professional baseball player I would but you know we yeah. can't always get what we want so <laughs> well Taylor this has been so fun to talk to you and meet you virtually and we just appreciate your time and thank you for joining us on Unwritten Rules